And so this morning, as we ponder on who our just marvelous Savior is, we're going to be continuing in our teachings. There's in the book of Joshua, a series called Victorious. This is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus in the book of Joshua. And so, so far in the last weeks, we've looked at chapter 1 and 2 in Joshua. Today, we'll continue looking at chapters 3 and 4. But just to get you up to speed, or if you're here for the first time, what we've looked at so far is that God commanded Joshua to lead his people to go forth to defeat the enemies of God, to conquer the land that God had promised them 500 years earlier to their ancestor Abraham. So now it's time. After being in slavery, after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, God has raised up a new generation, a new leader, same purpose, same promise, same God. And now they're on the cusp of entering into the land of Canaan that God promised them. So last week, we went with two spies into the fortified city of Jericho, and we saw how the people of of Canaan, the inhabitants, are terrified because they've heard of God's incredible, sovereign, infinite power, and everyone in Canaan is horrified and afraid of the people of God that are coming. And we also met Rahab. We met this woman who, pagan, did not know God, heard about him. God revealed himself to her. She heard, she believed, she was transformed She put her complete trust in the one true God, and she showed that by rescuing these two spies, getting them out of Jericho. And these two spies go back to General Joshua and report, and here's what they said, Truly the Lord has given us all the land into our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. God's enemies were afraid, and that is still true today. The kingdom of darkness trembles. Listen, the kingdom of Satan, it literally trembles when the people of God, indwelt by his spirit, are marching, following our captain, Jesus, into battle. It terrifies the kingdom of darkness. And we can live lives of victory. We can. With the power of the spirit, we can live victoriously. And so this theme in the book of Joshua that we're looking at is that God faithfully leads his people to victory over the enemy and gives them rest. So God is faithful and he leads us over the enemy to have victory and then for our souls itself to have rest. And so the book of Joshua, what's happening here is that it's pointing to the gospel of Jesus. As we've seen, as we'll continue seeing today, Everything in this Old Testament book is fulfilled in pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And the victory that Jesus has won over our enemy, won over death, over sin, Jesus has won the victory, and his victory is our victory. And we can then now march forward and live in such a way where we're pushing aside all the things that would compete for our affections. We can truly enjoy Jesus. So what we're seeing in chapters 3, 4, and 5, in this developing story of the people of God entering into the promised land, is one unit. Now, it's too much material. I, I thought about it. I was going to be very ambitious and do all three chapters today, but we'll save chapter 5 for next week, and we'll look at chapters 3 and 4 this morning. 
So let's begin reading in God's word. Jonah, not Jonah, that was last spring. Joshua chapter 3. And we'll read what God's spirit inspired. Joshua 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before the Passover. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed his way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that you will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, each from a tribe, a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down towards the sea of the Arabath, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Amen. Can you even begin to imagine the excitement? I mean, just stop and think for a second. Those that were born in the wilderness had never even known anything but being in the desert. And those that were born into slavery had spent most of their whole lives in the wilderness. And now, after waiting, after All of these years, they leave the camp and they go to the banks of the Jordan River. And it says, after three days, the officers go through the camp and it says, consecrate yourselves. That means to make holy, to be set apart. 
for God's holy purposes. Now, we'll look at that more next week because, again, this is one unit, chapters 3, 4, and 5. And chapter 5 describes more of what that looked like and what, what it means to be consecrated. So next week, we'll look at what it means and, and how we can live lives of holiness and of purity and of a holy direction towards God. So we'll talk about consecration more in a week. But what you do see here in verses 3 through 6 in chapter 3, it mentions the Ark of the Covenant. And now the Ark of the Covenant, for those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it was the wooden box overlaid with gold, and it contained the stone tablet Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus. And so our God, now just so that we're clear, our God in heaven is spirit, and he can't be contained in a box. Not even a really impressive, handcrafted gold box. God can't be contained by a box. He was with His people. His presence was there with His people, but this tabernacle was a tent. Inside of it was the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark was very important because it was a visible demonstration for them to be able to see that God really was there with them. And so it was a visible demonstration of God's presence so that they could see it. So whenever the ark moved, they could see, oh, God is moving. And when the ark was leading them, like we see here in this text, they could see, oh, God is the one who is leading us. Our God is here. He is with us. There's no other name. We're following him. And the ark represented that for them. So it was a very important visual for them. And so the ark here is showing God's presence is there going before them and they're following at 2,000 cubits which is just under a kilometer like 900 meters or so and so from a distance because God is holy but he's still leading them and he's there with them and they're all following God's presence and so here's what it says about Joshua who's being exalted he says here is how you shall know that the living God is among you he will without fail drive out from you before the Canaanites. And he lists all the different peoples. And so he says, without fail. God doesn't fail. He is faithful. He's never surprised. Everything that happens is according to his sovereign purposes. It's all according to plan. Everything in your life is according to plan, as you're seeing here with the Israelites. And he displays his glory by keeping his promises. And so our God shows His infinite wisdom and majesty and power and glory when He makes promises and then He keeps His word. Without fear, we have victory. And what you're seeing here is quite a bit of detail. Surprising for just two verses. Verses 15 and 16 give us a lot of geography. And so it says that there were camps just north of the Dead Sea. It says also, (coughs) excuse me, that they were opposite of Jericho. So they were on the east side of the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea, and not far from Jericho that was on the west side of the Jordan. And it mentions Adam, which was about 18 miles, so say 30 kilometers north up the Jordan River. Now, in that part of the river further up north by Adam, again, 30 kilometers away, was, was a very shallow crossing. It would have been very easy for them to just travel 30 kilometers and go over the shallow part of the river. But they weren't there. They were further south 
across from Jericho, which was not shallow. And the text also says in parentheses, by the way, it was flood season. And so it's telling us that God is revealing the circumstances because the circumstances matter. At flood season, you could not cross the river at that point very easily. It was nearly impossible. It was way flooded and was a raging part of the river. And even worse, in this part of the Jordan River, there's a very thick area of like dense just bushes and trees. So there's this thicket with thorns, and it was difficult to even get through that to even reach the river itself. And so of all the places that God could have had them cross the river, he picks there, where it's hard to get to the river with all of this thicket. And there's a raging river, and it's deep, and it's flooded. I mean, knowing me, I would have said, hey, um, Captain Josh, can I ask a question? Um, my, my GPS says that 29.8 kilometers north of here, we can go to Adam, and it's very shallow. And we can just walk right over and then come back south to Jericho. No problem. Halas. We'll just go right up. Why, why are we going to go through this thicket? I'm going to get torn up. I don't want to get all scratched. This is going to be harder. What do, you, what do you think you're doing? See, we always want the path of least resistance. We always want to go the easiest, most comfortable way, and yet God here is taking his people the most difficult way across the river. And he's doing it on purpose. Why? Because God wants to display his glory by keeping his promises. He wanted his people to see his awesome power in what he was going to do. He wanted to show his faithfulness. He wanted to show them that on their own, they can't accomplish his purposes. On their own, they'll fail. But with their God leading before them, they can't fail. And no matter what the opposition is, no matter how difficult it might look, with God leading the way, failure is not an option. And so what you're seeing here is God is revealing something that's very important for us to understand, to know and believe today, how we trust our God. And so often we want the crossing to be easy, and God says, no, my son or my daughter. You have to go through a hard crossing because I'm going to display my power and you're going to learn to depend on me and see that you're desperate for me. And that is a good place to be. And so what happens? Well, what happens is they get through the thicket, they get to the actual banks of the river, the ark is being carried by the priests, and they stick their feet in the water, and immediately the water is rolled back, it says, a long way up to Adam, again, 30 kilometers away. And so now it's no longer a shallow crossing because now all the water is, it says, it's in a heap. It's like God like threw the water up. He pushed it back. And so now there's no water in sight. It's gone. It's out of, out of even their vision. It's so far away. The water's pushed back, and they cross on dry land. Does this remind you of something? Does this remind you of when they left Egypt a generation earlier? And the enemy was pursuing them, and through, at that time, Moses. 
He parts the Red Sea and they cross in dry land. And now, 40 years later, God now parts the Jordan River through Joshua. And they cross on dry land. But see, here's the difference. When they were leaving Egypt as slaves, they were terrified. They were afraid for their lives. But now what's happening is they've experienced God's presence. They've seen His faithfulness and they're following their God and they're walking in victory towards the enemy. They're not running away. They're running toward the enemy, following their God to go experience the victory God has for them. Very powerful when you begin to see what God is revealing here. Let's read a little bit in chapter 4. Won't read all of it. Not enough time this morning, but let's read the first three verses in chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight." So 12 men, one from each tribe, representing all of the people of God, pick up a large stone from the river. Again, the water's pushed back, but they pick up large stones, one from each tribe, and they carry it to where they're going to lodge that night in Galgal, which is not far at all from Jericho, which would be their next stop. We'll see that in a couple of weeks, where they camped there on their first night. Now, verse 9. And Joshua sat up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. So there's actually now a second one. So first you had these twelve men, one from each tribe, took one stone out from the river, and then Joshua set up another monument. He erects this, this pillar, so to speak, more of 12 more stones in the middle of the actual river where the priest had been standing. So they're on the banks of the river. Now let's finish the chapter, verses 20 through 24. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so they set up camp here in Gilgal, and they take these 12 stones, and he makes a memorial, a pillar on the first night where they slept in the promised land. Now, don't miss how spectacular this is. Yes, it was 3,500 years ago. Yes, I understand it was a long time ago, and we're separated by a a lot of time and cultural differences, but these were people who really lived, who had real emotions, just like you and me today. And so just just stop and try to picture how you would have felt that first night looking at this pile of stones that represent that God has been faithful 
and the first night where you're now sleeping in the promised land. Imagine how emotional that was, being there on that first night. They had waited their whole lives for this. They've been anticipating and praying and anxious, and they just couldn't wait for the day to finally come. And all these years of waiting, and finally, that which their grandparents didn't do, their parents couldn't do, Moses didn't even do, and now there they are. They've crossed the Jordan, and they're the first night sleeping in the promised land. I'll never forget March of 2011. I came to Abu Dhabi for a visit, just for a holiday in spring break, and God used that. And on the very first night, I knew nobody in this city. And I knew that night that God was going to call us to Abu Dhabi. I I could sense my heart being literally pulled out of my chest and pulled here when I saw the nations that God has assembled. And I thought, this, this is the place where I want to live and preach the gospel and, and shepherd the people with God's help for His glory. I so desperately want to be here, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. The next morning, Pastor Cam from ECC on Island meets me, total stranger, and says, would you want to come serve here? And I was like, ah, this is awesome. I wasn't even surprised when he asked. This is just crazy. But it's how God worked. But that was in March of 2011. I didn't come here until May of 2012. I'll never forget May 23rd of 2012. So it took over a year for me to wait. And my heart was already here. I was serving in Texas with our brother Stephen. You met him earlier. We were serving together. He's still there at the same church. And he was the one person I told about my experience here. And it was a difficult year plus because I doubted at times. I was like, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to make it back to Abu Dhabi. And it was dark seasons of anxiety and of doubting and, and but, but trusting and having brothers saying, don't doubt, trust God, it'll happen, just be patient. And, and God used him in an amazing way. So I'm thankful for my brothers here today even. And, and I'll tell you that that first night on May 23rd, 2012, when we slept here was really emotional for us. It was just anxious and excited and nervous and the unknown and not knowing what it was going to be like and yet excited about what God had for us and trying to meet people and learn names. Church smaller back then, so it wasn't as hard. But the reality is that that first night for us was very exciting. And I'm sure in your own way, you can have a similar memory of when you were waiting for something that you knew God was going to give you and yet you had to wait for it. But then on that day when it came, the, the euphoria of knowing that God is with you and he's going to lead you. And these memorials that were built were meant to be a tool to teach children about God's faithfulness, how he never abandons us. He is there. He goes before us and gives us victory over the enemy. And so let me give you the primary truth that we've been talking about let me condense it down and give it to you in one sentence so that we can identify. Because in our church, we, we do what's called expository preaching, where every sermon is based on one text. In this case, two chapters, but still, it's one text. And it has one main idea, one primary truth. And that is that God keeps his promises in order to display his glory. 
God is faithful to keep His Word. He keeps His promises. And it's not about you or me. He's doing it for us, but for His sake, for His name, for His glory. He is good to us and He keeps His Word. Now, in our remaining time this morning, I want to help you see how this applies to you and me today. Because whenever we read a testament, an Old Testament story like this, it can be easy to say, oh, great, that was cool history, nice. Now, let's go get some lunch now. But that isn't the point. The point is to have this shape us. And so we want to apply it. So the question is, so what? Well, so what? I want to give you four truths from this text to help you think and ponder about this week. And truths about how God keeps his promises. So truths about a promise-making, a promise-keeping God. The first truth is that God keeps his promises through, number one, faithful leadership. And so God uses faithful leaders to accomplish his purposes that he has promised. He's always used individual people to lead. God is doing it for his glory, but he uses people just like you and me that aren't necessarily special. But what's special is that God is the one leading us. And so what you see here is Joshua is the leader. You have other officers going in the camp preparing the people. And then you have the Levite priests that are carrying the ark. And so these are all people doing their particular role in the whole body being healthy to accomplish God's purposes for them. And so these are leading and the people are then following. So when we're talking about this spiritual leadership, you need to know this. You have to believe this. Then we're talking about spiritual leadership is spiritual leadership comes from God. Spiritual leadership always comes from God. God appoints leaders. He is the one that is sovereign over appointing spiritual leadership. And so you, as a mother, who you're changing diapers all day, and sometimes it's hard and tiring, God has chosen you to be the leader in your home, to teach your children how to love and trust Jesus. Fathers, you in this room, you are called by God. You are appointed and chosen for your family to lead your wife and to lead your children. And like we saw in this text, on teach your children about God's faithfulness. And so you are chosen, you are appointed for your family. Not another one, for yours. And so parents, spiritual leadership is appointed by God. But we also see this in the local church. These principles apply even to our faith family. Where there are spiritual leaders, we do have elders. And as our brother Ray, one of our elders, begged God this morning as we're having a pastoral prayer. He said, God, send us more elders. And so I would pray that there are men in this room that would aspire to be elders. Why? Because an elder is an example to the flock of what it is to be a man who is following Jesus. And so when you aspire to be an elder, you're aspiring to be a godly man who wants to be an example to others of what it's like to follow Jesus. And the privilege of leading is just that. It's a privilege. But we don't need just elders. We need people that are going to use their God-given gifts and abilities to come alongside the leadership and to use their influence to go and glorify God by making and developing disciples. And we do all of this together as we're following the leadership that God has given. So Joshua's the leader here, and he is told to be strong and courageous. We saw that from chapter 1. 
But understand something. It wasn't Joshua's abilities. It wasn't because he was so oppressive or smarter or had a great CV. It wasn't about that. It was because of who Joshua was following. Remember, God was up front, not Joshua. The tabernacle, I'm sorry, the ark was going first. And then you had everyone following. And so what, what gave Joshua the ability to be strong and courageous? That God had prepared him and God was leading him. God going before him is what made Joshua able to lead. And he spent several years, if you read in Exodus and in Numbers, Joshua spent many years with Moses being trained and learning as an apprentice, a leader in training. And it says in Joshua 4, 14, it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So the people were in awe of Joshua, their captain. Now, in this ultimate sense, this does not point to senior pastors in a church. You ought not send in awe of me. That, that would grieve me. It, it, would, it would say that you don't know me very well if you're in awe of me. It's crazy. We should be in awe of Jesus. And if ever you get even the hint that I want you in awe of me, pull me aside and say, Pastor, you need to repent. Because the goal is that you would be in awe of the person that Joshua is pointing to. Everything Joshua points to our Yeshua, our Jesus, our Savior, our Captain, and our King who leads us to victory. And so this exaltation of Joshua, how God exalted Joshua, is because it's a foreshadowing pointing to fulfilled in Jesus. How God exalted Jesus above every name, and He is our King. And so we should be in awe of Christ as we follow Him, and we're faithful to Him because He is faithful to us. He is our leader, and so we follow Jesus. But Jesus here being alluded to, being foreshadowed, doesn't take away from the fact that God still used a person, Joshua, to accomplish his purposes. And Joshua knew that God was going to use him, but he didn't know exactly how it was going to work out. At this point in the story, they're just, they just cross over. They're hanging out that night in Gilgal, but they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know how the story is going to unfold. But God prepared him as he was following God. And so maybe right now you're in this season of preparation. Maybe you wish your life looked different. Maybe you wish that you had a spouse and you're not married right now. Maybe you're married and it's a difficult season in your marriage. Maybe your work is really hard or unsatisfying. I don't know, but I can assure you that God is going to use your life circumstances for your good and for His glory and He's going to prepare you for what He has in store for you in the future. Prepare you to be a vessel fit to be used by Jesus for his glory. He has plans to use you if you will follow the captain, if you will follow Jesus. So if you want victory, and all of us do, we want to live victoriously, we must focus on Jesus. We must focus and be in awe of Jesus, the ultimate leader of God's people. Because we sin, you know, all of us tend to do, this is me too, all of us, we all tend to be very me-focused. We tend to live me 
self-focused lives, very selfish. We want our pleasures and our comforts. But we're called by grace to live in a, in a better, in a new way where we're focused on the person of Jesus, our leader. And so God's promises are always accomplished through, first of all, faithful leadership. Number two, God's promises are accomplished through being close to us. He keeps his promise by being close to us. Joshua 3 is emphasizing that God was there personally. The ark symbolized his presence dwelling right there with his people. So the ark of the covenant symbolized something that was fulfilled ultimately later with God dwelling with his people through his spirit. And so everything about the Ark of the Covenant is pointing to fulfilled in the Holy Spirit who indwells His people. So God is with us, just like He was there, but the difference is that His presence isn't in a box. His presence is in you. You are the temple of the living God. You house God. Not that you are God. We're not Hindu. It's not what we're saying. The Holy Spirit indwells you. So His Spirit interwines with your human spirit and He he fills you. He is with you. His presence is right here with you all the time. He's close to you, walking before you and leading you. So we're desperate for His presence and praise be to God that we have it. The only way that you can have true joy in life, hear me, The only way that you can experience joy in life is if you have the approval of God and you have the presence of God. If you have God's approval and you have God's presence, you can have lasting joy no matter what is going on around you. We are so desperate for God's mercy. The only way that we'll have God's approval is because Jesus came and died on the cross was the sacrifice for you and me. We deserve hell. As hard as it is for to say that out loud, the truth of the Bible is that we deserve it. We've earned it. We don't deserve God's approval. We earn death. The wages of sin is death. Your wage is your payment for work done. Our work leads to eternal death. But that's why God sent His Son to come and live a sinless life of perfect obedience, fully God, fully man, to die on the cross for us, so that if we repent of our sins, turn away, and truly, with all of our heart, trust in Jesus, His work on the cross, then we will receive His Spirit. And we'll have a full pardon. Mercy is available. We don't get what we deserve. We also have grace that we get favor that we don't deserve. And so we have God's approval because Jesus earned it. And now we have his spirit so we can have his presence in our lives. And so if you're a believer, then you can have joy and live in victory. You you can. You absolutely can. But see, here's the thing. You have to focus on Jesus. Because temptations will come. Temptations will come every day. And maybe when you're down or, or struggling... Maybe whenever life has been unkind to you, maybe you're going to be tempted to go read or see something that's immoral. Maybe when when you're down, maybe you'll want to go to the mall and go buy something. 
because somehow it will give you a sense of relief or of joy. Or maybe you want to go put something in your mouth. You want to go eat something because it will give you a degree of, of comfort. We, we can all turn to different things to find comfort. We should turn to Jesus. Let him satisfy us and fill us. And let him heal us as we focus on our master who is close to us. We have his presence. Let me give you a story from this week for me, and how this is just, this is real, is on Sunday, just five days ago, I was with some brothers, we were at the Adnok on Yaz Island, heading up to Sadiat, and we were studying the word together, it was early morning, it, it was in the petrol station, it has a Tim Hortons, one of the things open early morning, so it was a great time of fellowship, and then I needed to go home, but as you know, on Yaz Island, and you have to go to Sadiat for a U-turn. So you need like a 30-minute U-turn. And so I was like, man, I'm going to be late for my kids going to school. Like, how am I supposed to turn around and go back to Yaz Island when the road only goes one way? And one of our precious dear brothers, he says, oh, no problem. All you have to do is jump that curb, go down a steep hill of sand, go around the petrol station, and you can get back on the highway, no problem. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. So, but he has a four-wheeler in this big old Jeep. So he goes over, no problem. And then I go over, and, well, it wasn't the same experience for me. Because when I was going over this cliff, essentially looked like to me, is I, I, I get the first tire over, and then I hear a crash as the bottom of my vehicle slams down on this, this wall that was a curb. And so I managed to get it over, and I drive home with the vehicle that is rattling and screaming at me and shaking. And I think it's going to explode as I'm driving home because I so damaged my vehicle. And we only have one. I get home, and I was so frustrated. I was so angry and depressed at just really not having a good morning. And that's the Lord's Day. This is Sunday, right? Here it's a work day. But, so, but then you know what happened? I sat in my office, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was just really frustrated, to be honest with you, and thinking all these evil thoughts, like nothing good was coming out of your pastor on Sunday morning. And then my phone rings, and someone says, hey, I heard about your accident. Can I take your kids to school? And then the phone rings later, and someone says, hey, can you want to borrow my vehicle? And then the phone rings later, and someone else says, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? And the phone rings again later, and someone says, hey, you want to borrow my vehicle? I'm like, already, someone else already loaned me their vehicle. I don't need two. And then I'm getting more text messages and emails and people saying, hey, is everything okay? How can I serve your family? And by the afternoon, I was just sitting in my office repenting. Because the truth is that I'm so glad that I went over that cliff. Even though my wife did give me a hard time, she's like, now, if your friend says, follow me off a cliff, what are you going to say? And then I said, not again. I'm so glad that happened because what it did, it was a reminder of what a faith family is. And it was so humbling to have people loving and lending vehicles and going out of the way and being inconvenienced to serve a bonehead that went over a cliff. And our God is faithful. 
Our God is close to us, and we can experience his presence and his joy, and we have him. And the bonus, this is just overwhelming, is that we have this. We have a faith family that is experiencing that same closeness with God. And then because of that, we love each other, and we serve one another. This is what it is to follow our captain, live lives of victory, is experiencing closeness. And so I was able to pray and praise Jesus that afternoon for my car being broken and saying, I don't even care. It's been a blessing having God's presence in your life. And so being close to him. Number three, God keeps his promises. Number three, through endless power. God powerfully pushed back the Jordan River. And so we're seeing here God's endless power. So he keeps his promises through displaying his endless power. God promised that they would cross the Jordan, and without fail, it was the flood season. And like that matters to God. God, but it's flood season in my life. You think that's a problem for our God who just spoke a trail of galaxies? And, and we think, oh, God, this is so big for you. How are you going to handle this one? And God says, my dear child, will you trust me? I have endless power. He can deliver us from our temptations. He can deliver us from the grasp of Satan. He can deliver us from our own evil desires. The Israelites crossed over that Jordan River and entered into new life. No longer slaves, no longer wandering. They crossed the river, and now they've entered into new life, carried by the grace of God the whole way, as God has been leading them so faithfully, and they're learning to trust their God. And crossing over this Jordan River into the promised land, into this new life, is a picture of regeneration. It's foreshadowing, pointing to regeneration done by the Spirit. What does that mean to be resurrected spiritually? Regeneration is the new birth that Jesus talked about when he said, you must be born again. Because every single person naturally is spiritually dead. And yet, the Spirit of God breathes life into someone, regenerates them, brings them to life spiritually. And then they can express that faith. So the Spirit does the work of regenerating, and then we respond with trust in Jesus, and we can live new lives again. The Spirit then sanctifying us and making us more holy. And so we have this new life. And so spiritually crossing over from slavery and death into life. And that is what's happening with the Israelites, crossing Jordan into new life to go be victorious. And so what you're seeing here that's happening physically for the Israelites is pointing to spiritual truth that believers today can live and cling to. This is foreshadowing Jesus and his gospel. So we focus on him, and we beg him to change us as we enjoy his presence, as we read his word, as we meditate and we we think about it. We spend time praying, and we experience the joy of of sensing him with us throughout our day. There's things you have to do. Okay, you have to go to work. I get it. Take care of your kids. Pay your bills. Get your car fixed, right? There's things that have to get done, but even as you're doing them, You're experiencing God's presence empowered through His Spirit. 
Number four, as we close, God keeps his promises for awe-filled worship. So he keeps his promises for a reason, for awe-filled worship. So he kept his word. We read it in the last verse of this chapter, verse 24. Read it again. So why did God do this? Why did they cross over? Why did they go into the promised land and go over the Jordan? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. Amen. God does it so that people will bend the knee, so that people will recognize that He is God and we are not, and that He is displaying His infinite worth and and glory, so that we can then fear Him, have this reverential awe, this worship for Him, this awe-filled worship. Worship. So God rescues us, He changes us, He saves us, gives us new life so that we can then be in awe of Him and live lives of worship. The truth is, you're always worshiping. Always. You're always worshiping. Constantly. It never stops. Just like a light bulb that's on that just keeps emanating the light. You, as a human being, are constantly emanating worship. You're always, every minute of every day, you are always worshiping because you were made to worship the question isn't will you worship the question is what or who do you worship we're made to worship so all of our thoughts all of our desires even all of our behaviors because our behaviors flow from our desires anyway so all your thoughts you see behaviors your, your everything your, your desires All of these are always going to be orbiting around, always oriented around something that you're ascribing worth to. So you're always going to be finding worth and value in something. You're always going to go to something for comfort, for joy, for peace, for hope, for meaning, for satisfaction. You're always going to be going, all of us, because we're made to. We're made for Jesus. So the question isn't, do you worship? You do. The question is, what are we worshiping? Is it Jesus? Will your heart sing no other name but Jesus? I mean, we sing it. Do we live it? Through our day, are we really singing Jesus as you're at work, as you're driving your car? That's hard in Abu Dhabi. Are you singing Jesus with your heart? Are you ascribing your worth and your value, your desire for Jesus? See, Joshua saw the absolute majesty. He was in awe of God. Because again, he saw, he saw his majesty. He saw his power. He saw his holiness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his power, his wisdom. He saw his grace. And so seeing all of these infinite perfections, this beauty of who God is, inspired an awe out of the people of God. May we be like that. May we be truly gripped by our Savior, by Christ. And when that happens, our heart will begin to change. And we'll want to ward off temptation. We will want to be faithful to him because he's been so faithful to us. May you savor. I'm talking taste. I'm not saying take a bite and just eat it. No, eat it slow. Savor. Taste God's faithfulness. Just roll it around in your spiritual mouth and just taste it. Taste that God is so good to you. Enjoy it. 
take another bite and savor it some more. Taste the gospel and taste how sweet it is that we're forgiven. And so we, we savor God's faithfulness. Taste it, enjoy it, even write it down and remember and see back later what God has done for you and how faithful He has been. And when we do, our heart will change and we'll be empowered to live victoriously for our Savior. Before we close in prayer, I just want to speak to those in the room that maybe this is something new where you've never really pondered what it means to savor God and to worship Him alone and understanding that we are condemned, that we are desperate for His grace and He offers it freely. Today, you can turn away from your sin. Trust in Jesus. He'll save you. He'll give you His Spirit. You'll experience His presence. You'll have joy that's indescribable. You can do so today. Come let me know. I want to celebrate with you and help you to grow and keep following Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we are in awe of your absolute beauty and our hearts have been so gripped by your faithfulness to us. We fall so short of your glory. So you came down. You reached down. We could never reach up to you. And we praise you, Father. We praise you, Son and Spirit, for our salvation. We praise you for your word that leads us, for your spirit that helps us understand these truths. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that is grappling with these truths. May they repent and believe in you. And those who are believers, may we be more faithful to you, for you have been faithful to us. We pray these things. In the name of our love, Jesus. Amen.